Will he or won't he? Will Brennan Armstrong play Saturday night when UVA takes on Notre Dame? And will Virginia Tech's offense show up on Senior Day against Duke? All that, the college basketball season is here, and Aaron McFarlane's Puppy Chow, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 66 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. And David, we open the show that way every week, and, and now we have a new accolade to add because you are newly inducted into the Hampton Roads Sports Hall of Fame as of last night. Congratulations on your latest accomplishment. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. We had a we had a very nice evening with blessedly short speeches. We were home by 10 p.m. It was awesome. What was the Cliff Notes version of did, did you give a speech and what was the Cliff Notes version of of your remarks? The Cliff Notes version was thank you very much and boy have I seen some cool things over the years and you all have a good night. That's that you know what more do you need to say and David you you have obviously seen some cool things over your time. And I like to think that during this podcast, uh, we bring out a lot of those stories. Uh, but in terms of, of these honors and inductions, and, and is there is there one that, that stands out to you? Are they, are they all special? Are they getting monotonous when you have had the level of achievement that you have? How do you look at, a, at all of these honors? Well, no, they're all quite humbling, Mike. When, you know, last night I... Uh, Join the likes of Curtis Strange and Bob Dandridge and Alan Iverson and Tisha Penichero and Nancy Lieberman and, you know, all these athletes and coaches. And, and as I told them, you know, my enduring, you know, athletic memory is giving up the winning goal in the JV soccer county championship <laughs> game. <laughs> When, when I was a sophomore, I won't even tell you what year that was. And so it, all of them are, are, are really, really nice. And uh, it, was, uh, it, it was a special evening. We really enjoyed it. That's awesome. So who knows? Maybe if David Teal makes makes the save in that JV soccer game, uh, he goes in a different direction, and and maybe none of us are, are privileged to have read your work for so long and now listen to you on, on this show. <laughs> You could have been headed to a career in pro soccer. Yeah, I, I don't think MLS would have had me, Mike. I... <laughs> well, we are very happy to have you. And, and David, uh, we're very happy to have you covering this Saturday night, which should be a pretty entertaining game. Although some of the luster has been taken off uh, of the showdown between Virginia and Notre Dame, thanks to uh, Virginia's blowout loss at BYU. Certainly they're not regarded at quite the same level they were. And I suppose it could be downright dull if Brennan Armstrong doesn't play in this one. We'll, we'll get to his injury. Uh, but for right now, let's enjoy the fact that we're over a week into November and Virginia is playing in what could be considered one of the marquee games of the weekend. Mike, I think it absolutely is and will more so be if, if Brennan Armstrong can play. I mean, we're talking about a top 10 team in Notre Dame coming to Charlottesville second Saturday in November. The outcome has no bearing on Virginia's ACC aspirations. It has 
immense bearing on Notre Dame's playoff aspirations. And, you know, anyone who thinks that the Fighting Irish are going to be coming in here overlooking Virginia is delusional. Number one, you know, Brennan Armstrong just jumps off the tape and he and, and Virginia's receivers clearly have Brian Kelly's attention and just so much at stake for the Irish. Yeah, which doesn't really play uh, into Virginia's favor, right? Like you'd rather uh, a Notre Dame team with a little less on the line. Um, Let's start, though, with with Brandon Armstrong. Obviously suffered the rib injury against BYU. Uh, On Monday, Bronco Mendenhall was very coy in in his update, uh, telling us essentially, hey, we'll decide Friday or Saturday. And, And, you know, this isn't one of those cases where if the kid can't practice Wednesday or he can't practice Thursday, he's out. Uh, they'd go up to game time, and, and if he feels like he can go, they'd go with him. <sighs> David, let me start here. Can can they win this game with Brennan Armstrong? Yes, they absolutely. They can win any game with Brennan Armstrong, with, with may, maybe the exception of Georgia, because that defense is so good. But against virtually anyone else, I would give UVA a puncher's chance. At, at the least, simply because of that offense. That's how potent and impressive it is. Agree completely. I asked you that question simply to set up this question. <laughs> Can they win this game without Brennan Armstrong? Seriously doubt it. I, I, I don't trust the defense enough to to get enough stops on a night where, you know, if no Brennan Armstrong, then Virginia's not going to score 40 and probably isn't going to score 35. And that really narrows Virginia's margin for error. Yeah, I I think the defense is, for all the talk about Armstrong, the defense is where this game is at, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think we both think Virginia can be a good defense. If they were to show up and do that and put it all together, um, I think they'll get enough out of the offense with Jay Wolfolk because of the number of playmakers they have. To your point, I, I have a hard time seeing them score enough to outpace what they're going to give up defensively. Let's talk a little bit, though, about the backup quarterback, a Richmond area guy. And mm-hmm. it's been interesting to hear Bronco and, and this morning Robert and I and, and some of his teammates talk about Jay Wolfolk and, and his confidence. Um, and I'll tell you, Ira Armstead today told me, you know, Jay Wolfolk in practice He's got the same feisty attitude as Brennan Armstrong. He wants to win in all the drills. They have to kind of hold him back at times to remind him, hey, it's just practice. He's that kind of competitive guy. Um, there is a confidence that they don't have to change what they're doing if they go to Jay Wolf. You remember a year ago, Brennan Armstrong missed the Wake Forest game. Keaton Thompson, his shoulder wasn't rehabbed. He couldn't really throw. They went to a quarterback by committee and, and they fell behind. So Lindell Stone ended up having to toss the ball around a ton, a ton more than they had planned going in. That's not the case this year, David. They, they seem to feel like, okay, Jay Wolfuck isn't on Brennan Armstrong's level right now, but we can run the same game plan with Jay Wolfuck. That's a huge advantage for them, isn't it? Yes, 100%. And Mike, you were watching the, the BYU game, as was I, on, on television. And it was striking to me that when... Armstrong went down there in the second half and Wolfolk started preparing and warming up on the sideline because it became pretty clear he was going to have to go in. I mean, the kid, and, and, and he, he wasn't reveling in Armstrong's injury clearly, but he was smiling. He was chill. All right, he's like, okay, let's go. And 
Mendenhall told us yesterday that that's just the way that Jay is wired. And it reminds him of how Armstrong is wired because as Bronco Mendenhall reminded us when Bryce Perk or not Bryce Perk. Yes. When Bryce Perkins got hurt down at Georgia tech, Brennan comes off the bench and immediately takes him down the field for a touchdown. Now, Jay Wolfolk didn't do that in Provo, but they believe he has that kind of moxie and that kind of talent. Yeah, and that's going to go a long way because there is, uh, there is a, a factor of what your quarterback gives off, your offense takes. Like, you look at this offense. They got a veteran offensive line. They got playmakers all around. Jay Wolfolk doesn't have to come in and, and put up Heisman numbers and do crazy things, but he does have to be competent, and he has to give off that confidence because if he does that, there's some guys that can make plays around him. I talked to Keaton Thompson about that this morning at practice, and he's like, hey, man, you know, you don't have to be a highlight real monster. Uh, for this offense to be good. No one does, right? No wide receiver feels like individually they have to do it themselves. Uh, no running back, no lineman. And even though we look at the quarterback that way, he said no quarterback, right? Spread the ball around. Somebody is going to make a big play. That's kind of how they feel it. It reminds me of some of the UVA basketball teams where they didn't have a true go-to leading scorer, but you always felt like each night somebody was going to get you 20, 24, and, and everything was going to be okay. I think Jay Wolfo can very competently get them through a game because of what's around him. Two things, Mike. Game management, mm-hmm. ball security. Yes, sir. That's what, if if this game comes to down to Jay Wolfolk under center, actually, perhaps more accurately, <laughs> in the shotgun, that's what will be required. Do not turn it over, giving Notre Dame a short field, momentum shifts, and things such as that. And just manage the game yeah now we talked about the other side of the football that's the part that scares me particularly when you look david and we talked about this i think when notre dame was getting ready to play virginia tech the running backs uh, kieran williams chris tyree who's got the, the local ties um this defense for the first time against byu really struggled to tackle really struggled to get people on the ground um that can't be the case in this game or you're going to see a lot of six yard runs become 60 yard runs and Kyron Williams has that kind of ability. I don't know if it was against Navy or not, but he had a 91-yard run. That might have been against North Carolina, actually. But, yes, stopping him and forcing Jack Cohn, who who threw it pretty decently last week against Navy uh, in, in what I believe was Notre Dame's most lopsided victory of, of the season. And that that's tough to do when you're getting ready for that, for that Navy option. So, so props to Brian Kelly and his staff for getting that squad prepared for that, you know, unique type of, uh, of opponent, but the ability to tackle, get them on the ground, obviously, you know, the kid from BYU, he's still running and that's, that's going to be the key. Make Cone have to throw it. Now, David, you, you referenced this earlier. People are going to be watching this game. It's Notre Dame. It's a night game. Uh, the mystery it's ABC, and- man. I mean, it's, the, the, there's there's no cable involved here. The, the, this is big time Saturday night. Absolutely. And and if he's healthy and if he were to be healthy, this was kind of the moment for, for Brennan mm-hmm. Armstrong to make his Heisman campaign and, and, and really kind of put himself on that national stage. But you referenced this earlier. This game – 
means nothing when it comes down to the ACC Coastal Division, which Virginia can win uh, the following weeks when they play at Pittsburgh and then host their rival Virginia Tech. David, considering that, what does Notre Dame mean? That brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Even if he's healthy, and we don't know yet, but even if he is healthy, UVA should sit Brennan Armstrong out of the Notre Dame game and have him ready for Pitt and Virginia Tech. Take it or leave it, and let's start with David. I'm going to leave it, guys, because if he is healthy, and that means to me he is ready to go, and it's if BYU did not happen, then he, he's got to go. As, as Mike referenced, this is his Heisman moment, and this could well be the, a, a program moment. They owe it to themselves. They owe it to their fans. To put the absolutely the best team on the field against arguably the best team they will face all season, you know, let's th- throw throw them all out there and and see what they got. Now, if he is compromised in any way, and Bronco Mendenhall alluded to this, Mike, on Monday, is if it's risky and if it's iffy, and he said there's one or two guys who might be in that category. He was so so cryptic. That's where this thing becomes very nuanced. All right, David, thank you. Mike? So I'm going to take it, uh, the idea that they should sit him, fully understanding that there's no way it happens, (laughs) right? I mean, we've talked about this on this show, Bronco leaving him in in fourth quarters, Brennan Armstrong's personality. If he's able to go, he's going to go. And if he's healthy enough to play, they're going to play him, he's going to want to play. My concern here is, that Brennan Armstrong is the kind of kid who can look you in the eye and tell you, I can do what I can go. And he's telling you the truth. It is 100% true. But it doesn't mean that one hit to those ribs isn't a setback that then takes him out for a couple weeks. Again, I don't think there's any chance they sit him if he's able to do it. But if it were me, I would sit the kid down and say, look, I know you feel like you can go and I know you can get the job done. But one bad hit, puts us behind the eight ball for the games that really, really mean the most to us. Um, it's not Broncos DNA. It's not Brennan's DNA. It ain't going to happen. Hmm. But if I were the coach, yeah, I'd, I'd wrap the kid in bubble wrap and, and have him sitting up in the coach's box, uh, seeing <laughs> things and maybe calling plays <laughs> for the night. And good luck getting Brennan Armstrong to agree to that. Yeah. As you said, ain't gonna happen. Now, David, the other team in the Commonwealth, you were up in Boston on Friday night and you saw Virginia Tech turn in really one of the most putrid offensive performances of this uh, Justin Fuente era. They failed to score a touchdown in their loss to the Eagles. Uh, I want to say, David, what went wrong, but that makes it sound like it's somehow a deviation from what we've been seeing all year. What was worse in Chestnut Hill? Everything. Mm. I mean, it really was, Mike. It was very much an imperfect storm for Virginia Tech. First of all, injuries. Trey Turner does not make the trip because of what Justin Fuente says is an injury he that he as a coach has never experienced. And it goes back to the Georgia Tech game. And Trey has this career outing, 187 yards, I, I believe it was, including a 69-yard touchdown. And he comes into the post-game interview area with us. And he begins talking, and his voice is all messed up. 
I mean, it's the pitch is different, and and he's kind of smiling. He's going, guys, I'm really sorry. My, there's something with my voice. I don't know quite what it is. And then we just continued through the interview, and he didn't. He was not in any discomfort or anything. But then apparently he gets back to Blacksburg, and there's pain, and they have since determined that there's air trapped in his lungs and, and chest, and it's just all very peculiar. And the bottom line is Virginia Tech's most explosive offensive player did not travel with the team to Chestnut Hill. And then in the first half, Braxton Burmeister, the starting quarterback on a boot, when he's tackled, falls on the ball wrong, bangs up his ribs somehow. He's out for the rest of the game, leaving them with Knox Kadem at quarterback. The Hokies finished with Mike 73 yards passing. That's a bad quarter for Brennan Armstrong, by the way. And 73 yards were the fewest passing yards for Virginia Tech since the Hokies had 59 against Alabama in 2013. And David, for the second week, I thought the defense certainly did enough to win the game, which is great. Obviously, you want your defense to play well. But in a sense, doesn't it shine the the spotlight even more on the offensive failings, the fact that, hey, these are games that they're not getting blown out. They're just not doing anything. Yes, it absolutely does. And again, it goes back to a point that Bronco Mendenhall was talking about Monday, where there is an almost disproportionate influence on the game today in football by the quarterback. And if if you do not have an elite player at that position, you are hosed. You, you really are. That's the way the game is officiated. That's the way the rules are drawn up. It, it's the way that offenses and defenses have evolved. You have to have a really, really high-level quarterback. And we're seeing it in the league this year in – in depths that we we perhaps have never seen between Armstrong and Sam Hartman and Sam Howe and Kenny Pickett and Devin Leary and Malik Cunningham. And if Phil Jerkovic hadn't been heard of Boston College, we might have seen it from him. So it, it does, Mike, that, that performance just emphasized, punctuated how bad this offense is and how difficult it is for Virginia Tech to win a football game against anyone. You know, you bring up some of those quarterbacks and, and Phil Dracovic gets injured. Grossell comes in, mixed results, but not great, right? The offense at Boston College takes a hit when, when he was filling in. Oh, yeah. Uh, you look at Miami, Derek King, who, who could have been among those stars this year. He was injured early. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the freshman, seems to be now finding himself. Yeah. Really joining. I, I'm not saying he's up in that category, but he's showing the potential to be in that category. David, I bring it up because I ask you this. It's not Justin Fuente's fault that Braxton Burmeister got hurt. It wasn't Justin Fuente's fault when Josh Jackson got hurt. It wasn't Justin Fuente's fault when Hendon Hooker had the weird cold thing against Clemson last year. But it does feel like year after year, this quarterback position is I don't know, mismanaged, is too harsh a term. They don't have answers there. How much of an indictment of the coaching staff is the fact that since Gerard Evans won great year, they haven't really had consistency and any kind of succession plan, succession plan there at the quarterback position. Mike, they've been little more 
been serviceable at the position since Gerard Evans. And that is absolutely an indictment of Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson, his offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And it will be among the bullet points in his coaching obituary in Blacksburg. Especially when you come in, and and well-earned, by the way, with the reputation as the quarterback whisperer, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the things he had done at TCU, the things he did at Memphis, it's not like people made this up or it was like an illusion. Justin Fuente did a great job coaching quarterbacks and coaching offense in his previous stops. He was hired in large part to do that in Blacksburg. He hasn't gotten the job done. And again, there's a million factors for why, and some of it is beyond his control. But um, at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think because that was such a feather in his cap, um, it does feel like even more of a failure during his time with the Hokies. And and not only that, Mike, and there is always more to the story. And you mentioned the Hendon Hooker cold game against Clemson last year. And you can make the case that Hendon Hooker lost the lost the confidence of his coaches and teammates that that night, rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, that he did, and that his transfer was best for all parties concerned. But the incredible contrast in Virginia Tech's offensive struggles this season and Hendon Hooker's lights-out numbers at Tennessee just, again, sheds further light on the Hokies' struggles. And the the optics are just beyond terrible for the program and for Coach Fuente. And if you get on Twitter and and scroll through the popular gifs, they'll tell you that it puts a lot of salt in the wounds uh, for for Tech fans who who do blame Justin for for Hendon's success at Tennessee and that it's not happening in Blacksburg. David, speaking of of gifs and, and Twitter. And I had to use the Homer Simpson backing into the bushes one because I spent all week saying, I thought tech would win at Boston college. Mm-hmm. I thought they'd come back and beat Duke, which is getting them bowl eligible and putting them in position to potentially, I, I thought they'd lose at Miami, but win three of their final four, because I think Virginia as good as they've been and as bad as tech's been that game, you don't know what's going to happen. I was kind of hyping up that, you know, this team wasn't done fighting yet. The last thing I want to ask you on the Boston College trip, did it seem like this team had less fight than we're used to seeing? I don't think so. But 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 I do hesitate because when Justin Fuente talked to us yesterday, today's Tuesday, so it was his weekly presser on Monday. When he looked at the tape, he said, we didn't block, we didn't tackle. Blocking and tackling, Mike, that's effort. So... I, I do have some hesitancy there, but but yet still, as you mentioned, the defense only gave up 17 points, so it's not like BC was just run, running wild. This is not Virginia giving up 66 to BYU. So I, I, I do think there's some fight left. Final home game this Saturday against Duke. Duke is a mess, <laughs> but, but let's, <laughs> let's look at this incrementally. Syracuse was 0-3 in the ACC, beat Virginia Tech. Boston College was 0-4 in the ACC, beat Virginia Tech. Duke is 0-5 in the <laughs> ACC. Sounds like the Blue due. Devils going to beat Virginia Tech. I don't think there are any 0-6 teams out there to, to, to keep this little progression <laughs> g- going, but yeah, th- there are no gimmies for this bunch. That is for sure. They've 
I will pick them to win. I think they will win. But man, you just can never be sure. Well, you know who else is picking the Hokies to win? <laughs> picking them as an 11-point favorite at home Saturday. It's Vegas, and, and Vegas always knows best. So let's get to that line and a whole lot more right now. Well, we are joined now by Aaron McFarling, our good friend and the outstanding sports columnist from the Roanoke Times. Aaron, great to check in with you again. Good to be here, Mike. Back from Boston. Had a good time up there, even though the Hokies didn't. And uh, looking forward to this big Virginia Tech Duke tilt this week. I tell you, there's going to be so much juice in this game. It's just going to, they just, just call it Tropicana. <laughs> I imagine that the, the lobster rolls and the chowder <laughs> were, uh, were better than the football up there. Yeah, and the gambling at the Encore Casino was also good and kind. So at least Southwest Virginia came back with something out of that trip. Uh, we had a nice night at the crafts table. Mike Neisel, like the beat writer, and I. So uh, it, was a, it was a fun trip. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty abysmal right now What what's going on with the Hokies. I mean, the offense is, is putrid. Lilliputian, as my friend Randy King would call it, um, you know, and you can just the writing's on the wall. I mean, it's 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 over for Fuente. It's just a matter of of, of time now. It's um, I think the assumption will be, my assumption at least, is that it'll just happen the day after the Virginia game, and then they'll uh, make a pretty quick hire shortly thereafter. But they're playing out the string for all intents and purposes here. So it's a bit morbid, but we see it in the sports gambling world. Are there odds on Justin Fuente keeping his job and are there already odds on who might replace him or do they not post those until the job's actually open? I don't think the Virginia Tech job and Hokie fans won't want to hear this, but I don't think it's it's high profile enough for that. I, I you know, maybe somewhere there are, but you know, typically for those kind of prop bets, you're looking at, you know, uh, the Alabama job or the USC job or you know these jobs that, you know, are being discussed on first take. You know, not not jobs that are are of regional interest. And uh, right now, I mean, that's sort of where tech is. I mean, sure, they're a program that's fringe top twenty five pretty much year after year, but um, it's not it's not something that like I don't think there's going to be like discussion across the country about who Virginia Tech is going to go after. So it's not really worth it for the bet for the books to uh, even post odds on something like that. That makes sense. And there aren't going to be a lot of people talking about this game coming up, <laughs> but Vegas does have a line and. Aaron, I mean, my eyes bugged out of my head just because to see Virginia Tech as a double-digit favorite, uh, I'm looking at them as an 11-point favorite. Now, Duke is pretty abysmal. I get that. And the games in Blacksburg, I get that. But, I, I mean, I see Virginia Tech as an 11-point favorite, and I'm like, is Vegas thinking 11 nothing, Or, or what, are, <laughs> what, what are they looking at here? Right. 12 nothing. yes. I mean, look, they didn't score a touchdown for the first time since 2014 uh, against Boston College, and we still don't know the, the status of Braxton Burma. Meister, you know, he's kind of day to day and that's uh, that's a big deal. I mean, if he's not playing, there's there goes, you know, you don't have uh, your backup Blumrick. You don't have him. So uh, it's going to be if 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 Burmeister can't go, then it's the same show we saw last week. And it, that's not a good good thing for Virginia Tech if that's the case. But, um, you know, in this series has produced some, you know, unexpected results in the past eight meetings between Tech and Duke. Uh, the underdogs covered in seven of those meetings, and that oftentimes is been has been Duke, you know, being the underdog. So, um, yeah, I like I like Duke to cover here. I you know I just can't put any faith in Duke to win the game. I mean, they can run the ball a little bit. Uh, it could be a short game that could get us out of there pretty quick, I guess, which would be a merciful thing for probably the entire crowd that shows up to salute the seniors. 
But uh, <laughs> we, I'm going to go Virginia Tech 24, Duke 17. I think the Hokies have just enough. I don't know how that 24 points is going to come. Maybe some special teams. I was stuff. just thinking I mean, the I, same I, thing. I, I'm like, you got a, a punt return and a defensive touchdown in there. <laughs> I think the over-under is 45 and a half, something like that. I mean, I like the under there for sure. But, uh, you know, funny things happen in sports and, um, you know, Perhaps Virginia Tech, you know, they could break off a couple of long runs. I mean, Malachi Thomas has, has been good for them in the last three weeks, and even though last week was not as good as the previous two, um, they can they can find a way to get it in the end zone. But uh, yeah, laying eleven points to me seems uh, pretty pretty absurd. <laughs> it it jumped out at me when I saw that line. Now, how about Virginia and Notre Dame? This this game is going to get a, a decent amount of hype. Virginia, obviously, with the BYU loss, took some of the luster off this game. We don't know Brendan Armstrong's status, so I'm curious how that factors into the line. I'm looking at Notre Dame as a five-and-a-half-point favorite in Scott Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, I was just reading your story on Armstrong. Good job on that, by the way. I mean, I, I wanted as much information as I could get on on Brennan's status because it all hinges on that, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it, that's that's everything here. And, uh, you know, we just don't know. We don't know if he's going to play, and we don't know how good he'll be if he is going to play, how healthy he'll be if he's going to. I mean, if he's if he's 100%, he'll be good because he's been great all year. He's been fantastic, uh, leading, leading passer in the nation. Um, just an incredible story. Um, you know, even if we could legally bet on this game in the Commonwealth and you, you and I didn't cover these teams, um, I would stay so far away from this game just because of all those things I just cited. But, you know, you know me, I like the underdog and I'll take the points and, and I'll take Virginia to win. I'll say 35-30 Virginia, and that's assuming Brendan Armstrong plays and plays at, you know, 85 to 90% of his, his capacity. And that's, those are huge assumptions to make. So just if you're listening to this out of state, you can bet on this game. I, I recommend just staying far, far away. But if you want to take a shot, uh, go ahead and take Virginia on the money line. I mean, they're, they're a really good home team and have been for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting. My one note here to talk to you about with that game was: should people just not bet on it when you when you when you don't know though? Somebody as important as Armstrong um, is that the smart play, or I mean, do you just avoid it like the plague because you just don't have all the information? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, this is this is value because I have confidence that he will play like you know you like we're all guessing on everything right so if you if you if you have some sort of reason to believe i mean maybe you're friends with with brennan or or noah's mom or something you know like (laughs) maybe maybe you have a feeling otherwise yes i mean when, when a player is that important to to the team and you and you just don't have i mean you have more information than the Hokies gave about Burmeister, you know, that at least they're going to really, really try everything they can to get him out there. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to necessarily play. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, do what you want. I mean, bet it. If you, if you want to uh, take a shot, take a shot. I'm not going to tell anybody not to do that. But uh, my advice would just be stay, stay as far away as you can on, in a circumstance like this. That makes sense. Now, a game you shouldn't stay away from. Give us your upset of the week. Where are we running to drop our money? I love this game here. I'm going to take Syracuse as a three-point pup at Louisville. If you if you look at it, man, Syracuse is really literally a few plays away from being eight and one this season. I mean, they've got a top twenty defense. They got the nation's number three rushing attack. I mean, those are two very key elements uh, to winning on the road, to succeeding on the road. Um, they're also eight and one against the spread, which is why I said they could be eight and one overall. I mean, those were all games that were the spread outside of the Clemson game, which was a double-digit spread, and they lost by three. Those were all, you know, 
touchdown spreads that they covered but lost. You know, those uh, Wake Forest lost. They lost to Wake Forest in overtime. Uh, there was another one there. I can't remember who the opponent was, but they lost by three. Oh, Florida State. Florida State, they lost by three, you know, as a, as a uh, seven-point pup, six-point pup, something in that neighborhood. You know, in the last two games, they've turned their covers into wins, you know, including beating the Hokies. So I think they're going to do that again here. I think they're going to beat Louisville outright. Um, that Louisville game last week was a hurt, hurt Toutville. I tell you what, man, they had four shots from the two-yard line to, to beat Clemson and uh, make that a winner, and they couldn't do it. Uh, at the end of the game there. So that was disappointing. Maybe this is partially a little bit of payback pick <laughs> in my <laughs> mind. Who knows? I mean, there could be some of that. I try to keep that out of my psyche, but it, it could be creeping in there. But I liked, I've liked Syracuse all year against the number, and I like them straight up here. I'll go 28-24 Syracuse over. You got it. AMAC is on the Dino Babers train. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your time, and we look forward to seeing how it all plays out this weekend. Thanks, Mike. Good luck, everyone. Well, David, it is that that glorious time of year now where football and basketball and college, they overlap. And yes, it is stressful and a pain in the butt if you're a sports writer. It's also a lot of fun. Uh, I was out at UVA football practice this morning, come home to do the podcast, do a little decorating for my daughter's birthday party tomorrow. And then it's off to UVA and Navy tonight, Virginia Tech. They're hosting Maine. Uh, This is fun, right? Like this is I, I know it's busy, but this is a fun time of year. Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, I, in turn, Mike, while you are in JPJ watching the Cavaliers and the Midshipmen, I will be on the couch flipping between that game <laughs> and Duke, Kentucky. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's, you, you don't have any more Hall of Fame inductions tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's start, though. Let's start with Duke, Kentucky, because, hey, it's Coach K's uh, farewell tour. He's got a team that, and I know people joke that Duke's always picked to win the ACC and rarely haven't done it in a while and all that. But this looks like a pretty good Duke roster, plenty of talent, some experience, maybe more experience than Mike has had to work with in in key positions Mm -hmm. uh, in in recent years. I'm excited for that game. I'm excited for what this Duke team could be for Mike Krzyzewski in his final season. No question. I, I think this is a very intriguing bunch, Mike. The the mix of the new and the old reminds me of his most recent national championship team uh, that that had that that mix. And you know, Jalil Okafor was was the lead dog, but you know, as a freshman, but there was there was some experience there around him. And th- this group has has some of that, and then the the signature rookie in Paulo Bancaro, who I've never seen play, and who everyone who has says you need to. Well, that's why I'm going to have the clicker in my hand tonight. Yeah, don't blame me for that. I'm a little jealous that I won't be able to to curl up with the popcorn and the, and the hot chocolate and just take in what they have. But I am wildly intrigued about Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I think. I, I watched them in that blue-white scrimmage and thought, hey, this team might be better offensively than I thought. I always believe that with Tony Bennett, as long as he's there, they're going to have great defense. And, and it makes me come to this question, David. Are you more curious in the early part of the season here, this first month, are you more, more curious to watch Virginia or Virginia Tech? I will say my Virginia Tech simply because Virginia is more established. Tony Bennett has spoiled not only 
fans, but but also media. We we have just come to consider the Cavaliers, and, and they have earned this as elite, and they are just they're going to be there at at the end, as you mentioned. Always going to be thorny on defense, up and down maybe offensively, but to me, can can Mike Young follow up on such an encouraging year two with the Hokies and just keep building that program of his here in his third season? Well, David, I'm, I'm glad you went that direction because I'm going the opposite <laughs> and I'm going to go with UVA. And I agree with you. We expect UVA to be at a certain level, but on a micro level, I believe in the pieces at Virginia Tech more in November than I do the pieces at UVA. I think Keve Aluma is going to be an absolute star. I think Nahim Aline, uh, Hunter Couture, I'm a little curious with Storm Murphy, how it all works, but I think that's going to be a very strong team out of the gate. And I think my question with Virginia Tech is how do they end the year? Virginia, I'm really curious what they look like tonight against Navy, Friday against Radford. And not that they're going to be pushed to the limits by these teams, but what what is the vision of this offense in particular? Jaden Gardner, he looked so good in the scrimmage. Is he going to be the focal point of the offense, right? He was that day when we watched. Everything kind of went through him. They went inside first. Is that going to be the way they play offense this year? Uh, Reese Beekman, he looked like he's elevated his game driving to the rim. Uh, is that going to be a huge part of the offense? Are they going to get any outside shooting? We keep hearing Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman, and, and I wrote about this a little bit uh, in yesterday's paper, that they've worked to improve their jump shots, and that was the focus of the offseason. Well, does it show up on the court? So I think you're right. At the end of the year, UVA is going to be UVA. But in terms of who do I want to watch in November, I got a lot of questions about this Virginia team, and they may, kind of like the football team did, they may answer all these questions in the affirmative. But for right now, there are a bunch of them, and, and I'm I'm very curious and intrigued by them. Mike, spoiler alert, the offense is going to run through Jaden Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it should. Uh, What we saw from him is a guy who is sturdy with the ball, has good low post moves, seems to have good judgment when to kick it back out. Uh, But I think we have this vision of of Virginia as when they play inside out, it's to get the three-point shot. Um, I think now it's you're playing inside, trying to get the bucket, and then what else is there? And it's going to be a different look. Uh, how does that transition to defense? I, I spoke with Kihei Clark, uh, I guess it was Monday, and he was telling me, you know, after practice that transition defense still needs work. And that's always the case at this point, right? The, going into the first game, you know, they can get set in the half court uh, off a of make pretty easy. But when you're running the floor, how do you get back into that pack line? There's just a lot of, Tony Bennett said, there's a lot of newness with this team. And when you have newness, you have some bumps, you have some wrinkles. That's what makes them an intriguing team in November to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But Gardner, just he was so consistent at East, at East Carolina over multiple seasons. And I, I know that the American is not the ACC. I get that. But just his his relentless production, not only scoring, but rebounding and his reliability. The fact that he was playing so many minutes, which leads me to believe I haven't parsed the the stats closely enough to really know. But if you're averaging that many minutes, that tells me you're not getting in foul trouble. And that that's that's a big part of an, of a big man's game as well as can you stay on the floor? 
and avoid those kinds of things. So I, all signs point, at least in my mind, Mike, to Jane Gardner being the focal point of so much of what UVA does. Well, we're, we're looking at the personnel and, and that may bleed a little bit into this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. UVA and Tech return some familiar names uh, to their basketball programs, but they also bring in some new faces. At the year's end, which newcomer will have the biggest impact for either the Who's or the Hokies? Who you got? Let's start with Mike. Well, I think Gardner is the obvious answer. We just went over that, and um, I think you feel strongly about that. So I'm going to leave him and, and go with Storm Murphy at Virginia Tech. And I do that because I think Virginia Tech – and I've said this before, and I know it upsets UVA fans. I think Virginia Tech has the chance to be the better team this year uh, with the experience they bring back. He's the only real new uh, part of the, the equation there in terms of that starting lineup, what they're going to have. We know what Aluma can do. I think we saw Naheem Aline in the NCAA tournament game last year really elevate his offensive game. I think that's a progression that's going to continue. I am fascinated by Justin Mutz this year. I think they're going to ask him to play a lot of the Tyrese Radford role uh, in terms of a do-everything kind of matchup nightmare guy, and I think he's up to the challenge, uh, and he's an effort guy on the glass. I think Hunter Couture is continuing to prove that he's an ACC caliber player. Um, you know, so much was talked about when Mike Young signed him early on. So, oh, he's just bringing a Wofford guy. Well, Wofford guys, Aluma, Couture, They've done pretty well, and that's why I want to see what Storm Murphy can bring. I think he has a chance to elevate that team. Um, all those names I just said, if he proves to be the real deal, I think they got something really special in Blacksburg. Thank you, Mike. David? Mike, that's that's the right answer, by, by the way, simply because, and, and here's why I think it's such a good answer on, on Storm Murphy, he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's, he, he's their point guard, and it doesn't get much more impactful than that for, for a newcomer. So I, I agree with you. If if he is everything that Mike Young believes he is, and Mike Young coached him at Wofford, Mike Young recruited him to Radford and then recruited him again to Virginia Tech. So clearly he believes in that young man. And we, we have no reason not to believe in Mike Young's judgment so far when it comes to evaluating talent. If Storm Murphy is all that, Virginia Tech could win the ACC. A- absolutely, it could. But to you know, just to be contrary and give a different answer, I I, I will I will take my guy, Jane Gardner. I mean, he, here are the numbers, Mike, that that he averaged last year: eighteen point three points, eight point three boards, thirty five point two minutes. All of those numbers rank second in the entire AAC. That's pretty darn good. Yeah, it's a sign of the times, right, that, you know, Mike Young's got a pretty established program at Tech right now. You know, they were good under buzz and had the the little dip and he got them right back. Obviously, Tony Bennett has that thing rolling in Charlottesville. Real sign of the times that we're going into the year and not talking about role players, talking about maybe the focal points of both of these teams being who? Being transfers. Transfers. Guys that weren't recruited, guys that started their career elsewhere, guys that started their career, quote unquote, on a lower level. And now we both believe these teams could be factors in the ACC. And we both believe that maybe their most important players transfers pretty wild, isn't it? Well, Mike, you mentioned Kebe Aluma earlier. I think we both agree. He's the Hokies most important player. What is he? He's another transfer from Wofford, just like Storm Murphy. And 
who were Virginia's essential players last year? Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy. What were they? Transfers. It's amazing. It is, and, and it it used to be a, a knock, right? When, when I remember early in my career, if, if a coach was kind of living and dying with, with transfers, it was a knock on him. Oh, I can't recruit. He's never going to build a stable program. That's not the case anymore, right? Like, you can do it with the one-and-dones, uh, like Duke and Kentucky, but if you're not doing it that way, I think the next thing is these transfers. And, and, and there's a lot of pressure on, on coaches, and I talked to Tony Bennett about this, to pick the right ones, mm-hmm. right? Because one, you only get a couple. You're only going to get a shot. And if you need them, you need them. So if you pick the wrong guy, it doesn't pan out. You've derailed your team. You got to change your vision. Two, attitude. How do they fit in? And um, everybody can have a smiley, sunny disposition when they're playing. Uh, if you take a guy and he's a role player, or if you take a guy because you think he's good, but you don't have a role for him, what does that do to your chemistry? So Tony talked a lot about, hey, you want to find good players who fit your program, and you want to make sure that you need them. You're not just stockpiling arms, right? It's not the arms race. You got to have a role for the guy because if he's coming in to give you one or two years, he wants to play. And I think looking at Virginia Tech and UVA, certainly, but I mean, really looking around the ACC, uh, look at Florida State and the two transfers they brought in and Fletcher and Mills. I mean, I think some very good teams are going to be leaning very heavily on some very good transfers. Brady Manick in North Carolina, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. I mean, some of the best teams have answered their off-season questions by going out and getting somebody from another program. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that anymore. No. if Mike, if you don't live and recruit in the transfer portal, then you're doing it wrong yeah. in, in, in today's times. You, you are doing a disservice to your program. I don't think any coach, any coach, Duke, Kentucky, Villanova, you name the blue blood, can afford to say, oh, no, we, we don't. Well, that's, a, that's below us. No, no, no. That's not going to work. This is the way the world is now, and you adjust or you perish. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, David. I want to end on this note. I was invited uh, by a group of ACC sports writers to join their fantasy basketball league which I've never done before, uh, college fantasy, and uh, honestly don't do all that much fantasy sports to begin with. Had our draft last night, so I just want to get your take on a couple players who I think are going to have really good years, and I hope so because they're on my team. Uh, Michael DeVoe at Georgia Tech and Dane Goodwin at Notre Dame. Do you like those guys or am I nuts? Well, DeVoe, they they need him Mm -hmm. given all that that the Jackets lost, and he has shown the ability to, to score. Now, is this a points, rebounds, assists league, or just points, Mike? Uh, it's points, assists, steals, blocks, rebounds. Oh, wow. So there's a whole bunch to it. And and my thought was, where are some guys who teams can't afford to take them off the floor? Because they, right. they, they tend to be the stat stuffers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, in Mike Bray's history is his guys play a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Goodwin is, is a sage pick. As well, I feel badly for the league statistician who who's keeping track of all this. Mess? So I just emailed Patrick Stevens, who if if you don't follow oh, him, yeah, you oh need to. Gosh. Patrick is just a monster with statistics, history. Uh, he's a phenomenal bracketologist, projecting the field. He may know even more about lacrosse than he does basketball, and he does. Uh, that's saying something. But um, he's just a machine. And I emailed him because this is my first year doing it, and I said, "What what website do you use? What?" What computes all these stats? 
who crunches all these numbers? And he wrote back very simply, oh, I, I take care of that. Yeah. And if you know the volume of research and other work that Patrick, I don't know. I assume the guy doesn't sleep, but uh, I will also say there's probably nobody I would trust more to be accurate, crunching all these numbers uh, and diligent than Patrick Stevens. So uh, hats off to him because I, I certainly would fail at that job. Patrick is the best and he is without a question, the leading source on brackets. He knows it better. You know, Joe Lenardi and ESPN, and they can trumpet that all they want, or Jerry Palm on CBS. Sorry, they all take a backseat to our guy, Patrick. Cosigned, no doubt. But we're not quite to March yet, so we'll, <laughs> we'll wait before we get into that talk. I know we're all looking forward to it. I hope you guys are looking forward to next week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For the multi-Hall of Famer David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.